0: Praise
1: Jesus, let's go ahead and get moving here. Oh.
2: oh, that's still there. I've been running over the last two days because she forgot it was on her trunk. She, she put on her hood, you know, to take it to the dumpster at the apartment? Yeah. She forgot. Yeah, yeah. drove out of the apartment and dropped a big trash bag in St. Joe. And <laughs> right outside our apartment complex. We I've run over it like, twice now.
0: <laughs> hey, 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 me. you know, the rest I don't know why forgot.
1: Like, hmm. It's easy to do. I've done that so many times with like my backpack, you know, or thankfully my computer was never in it. Just like, you know, like, oh, like stuff or your drink, you know, you leave on the thing, and then you drive off, and it's like, no! My sister did that her first year, except what she left on
0: top of her car was $20. Oh, I bet she did. Wow. Goodness gracious.
2: I'm sorry,
1: but I'm not homeless and I still would have been pretty happy.
2: Twenty bucks, I mean let's go.
1: Woo! All right, people. Let's do this. I know this is the fourth time I've said that. And I have everyone's attention so we can get started with class. I would appreciate that. Since we're it's already like ten thirty. <laughs> so it's fine. I just saying we got a lot to get through today. I mean, We might get through one of the Beatitudes again. But uh, I'm hoping, hoping for two. I'm really hoping for two. Uh, Because anyway. All right, Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this, uh, that we're in this room and we're dry and there's no water falling on our heads. And uh, (laughs) Lord, I just... (laughs) I ask that you would come, that you would open up our hearts and open up our ears, that we would be attentive to your voice, that your word would be planted within us, uh, that would spring up as a harvest of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, that you would uh, do something supernatural in this room this morning. Holy Spirit, We uh, we just our attention to you we turn our affection toward you it is good to be taught by you it's good to be loved by you to be corrected by you father you you correct the the children that you love you discipline us and so we just say come and be a good father to us this morning Set our feet on the right path. I thank you that you lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so some input. We've been in Matthew 5 for three weeks now. Has anybody been thinking about it? Anybody been chewing on on all the things we've talked about the last couple weeks? What's what's come from your fruitful chewing of God's word? It's important to chew on God's word. Or do you just leave class and be like, that was was exhausting. I'm not going to think about that again for another seven days. Which would be understandable I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well
0: I missed the first week, so I'm still like just kind of a week. So
1: okay. So what are you thinking? A lot. Has your process yielded anything, any little nuggets you want to share with the class? <laughs> this <laughs> is <laughs> uh, a reminder last week we talked yeah. about mourning oh. oh, yes blessed are those that mourn and the one before that we talked about blessed are those are the poor in spirit so yeah between those two very happy topics both um so
2: they really were they, really were, they
1: truly are Which that's the weird. thing they're deeply joy-filled but it doesn't seem like they are because the culture that we live in. I heard a quote yesterday. What was it? it was in. I think I read it on Twitter.
2: 50 deeper theological. Well, I mean, there's some love, pretty love, good love, theological I love, stuff on I love Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs>
1: but it was talking about. Oh, it was it said? It said that the theology of glory will always be more popular than the theology of the cross especially in America where positive thinking is worshipped. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. The theology of glory will always be more popular than the theology of the cross. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, we are, we are success worshipers. We, that's what, that's what we do in the United States. We say, You got it figured out. We don't even really care how. We don't care how many people got hurt. We don't care. We're starting to care a little bit. We don't care how crushed the environment was. We don't care how many people are getting paid these crappy low wages or whatever. We're starting to come back around and do that. But for a long time, the primary thrust of American society is that person is making a lot of money. So we need to idolize that person and figure out how that person got where they are. This is why it's very difficult for me to continue to be a capitalist, because that's—I feel like this is the the uh, this is the society that un, that nearly unbridled capitalism creates, is a worship a a, a worship of success, and uh, and you know notoriety, that that this 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 worship of fame, and you have to see that we worship fame in this country. We are, we are worshipers of celebrity culture. We Everybody in here, you know, we talk about... I, and, and there are other countries that are worse than us. I honestly think that Great Britain is worse than we are when it comes to this. I really do. Um, I do. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, look at all the stuff with, like, the royal family and the... Okay. Um, uh, uh, and you would not believe how famous, like, their... Uh, reality TV stars are in Britain, like, they're unbelievably famous. Like, crazy paparazzi mobbing them famous, okay? They're, well, they're, I mean, they, they have reality TV shows like Big Brother, if you ever watched Big Brother, okay? Big Brother started in England, okay? And now it's, and it came to the United States after that. But the people that that were in Big Brother, even to this day, are still, like, uber famous in Britain. We would never have heard of them here. And if you think about, like, shows like Survivor, et cetera, are still very popular in the United States, but nobody that wins Survivor is famous anymore.
2: You may remember
1: them. There was a day when people that won Survivor was famous. Everybody remember Richard Hatch? I mean, come on. There was a day when those people were famous, but that day is gone. Now, 20-odd seasons later... We don't really care who wins Survivor anymore. I mean, you do if you watch the show, but the day after, it's like, what's next, right? You ever, everybody's seen The Truman Show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Truman Show. The Truman Show. It's a, it's a movie. It's a fantastic movie. And it's all about this, this kid played by Jim Carrey as an adult who from in the womb has been the subject of a television show. And every single minute of his life is on TV. No, God, no, so. And, well, he doesn't know it, though. He is unaware. More. The whole world around him is a fabrication, and he's not aware. He's the only real thing in this entirely fabricated world. Yeah, there's so many moments in that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's literally the most, it's like the the most watched show on television. It's like an, a network all on its own is the the Truman Show, is just on all the time, and uh, it's a great movie. You have to see it. So good, so good. It's from well, that was the movie that my wife and I went to see on our first date. So it's at least twenty years old. Um, but it's not not that old. Have you
2: seen Jim Carrey <laughs> now? Yes. cool looking actually
1: he is i
2: love his beard just like and like jim i love you just hides in his house and like paints like when he has all these
1: weird he has this weird really weird philosophical thing that he's doing now thing i mean he's just got these weird weird strange ideas this this kind of weird mishmash of new age and christian (laughs) ideas because he totally loves jesus like he's He's I don't know if he loves Jesus in the like salvific way, like I love Jesus and he saves me, you know. But he loves the teachings of Jesus. But then he's also talking about how like the the you that you know is not really a thing, that it's just a construct. It's the eye attempting to view itself, it's the okay, so anyway. Wow. <laughs> I think
0: that honestly happened like after the death of his girlfriend that happened, and like everything after that just
1: I have no idea. I, I'm. I feel like he started going weird after the Andy Kaufman movie, you know, and the, and which was fantastic, but but uh, yes, very weird. Yeah, where he like completely emptied himself of self and became Andy Kaufman for like uh, six months. Right. Anyway, where how did we get on Jim Carrey? Oh, the Truman Show. At the end of the Truman Show, I'm not going to give away the ending, but at the end of the Truman Show, and the show's. Like it, it's over and there's, you see people that have, and the whole time you've been watching people that are watching the show. Okay. It shows people watching the Truman Show, like different people. And at the end of the movie, there's this scene where the Truman Show goes off the air and they kind of look at each other and like, what else is on? And just start flipping. And that just, and, and that right there just spoke so much to me that what this kind of a culture does okay is it uses people it dehumanizes people and makes them less than the image bearers of God and and we they become commodities so that we no longer recognize them as human beings and all of this is symptomatic of this success worshipping culture that as long as you're famous, I will pay attention to you. The minute you're no longer famous, I don't care who you are. Are you with me on that? Okay. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I have such... Because I think that that is the... That's what, that's where the whole uh, scheme of this uh, capitalistic... Uh, foundation that our country is built on, that uh, that I think that's the end product of, this. it's the ultimate product of this whole idea that, uh, you know, kind of leaving the market to itself a bit will end up
2: helping everyone.
1: So anyway, that's just, I don't know how, how did I get off onto that?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, um, oh, however our culture worships glory. Oh
1: yeah, right. Okay, the glory, yeah, the glory versus glory versus the cross. And the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you need to understand the Sermon on the Mount is not just a critic of our culture, it's a critic of every culture that it's ever encountered. The Sermon on the Mount has been a, a cu- countercultural reality in every single culture that it's encountered over the last 2000 years doesn't matter what culture you were a part of. If it was the feudalism of the Dark Ages, if it was the empire of, uh, of Rome, if it was the, you know, it doesn't matter. Any culture, but see, this is what Jesus does. When Jesus steps into the midst of a human formation, it becomes really obvious that what man left to his own sinful devices does looks nothing like us. Okay, that without our connection to the one whose image we are meant to bear, we become twisted and broken. And we forget the very reason that we exist. And we forget the very reason why we're breathing breath every day. And we lose track of the understanding of the purpose of human life. Okay? We lose it. We also lose track of what's actually good for people. We don't understand it, because sin is the is is the thing in this world which pushes us away from the uh, the the image of God. When God created everything, He created it out of Himself, and therefore all of creation had something of God's essence in it. And sin is the non-God. Now, I'm not going to call it the anti-God because. When God and sin meet, we don't get nothing. When God and sin meet, sin is destroyed and God remains. But sin is is the absence of God. Just as darkness is the absence of light, sin is the absence of God. We need to understand that, that. Sin in and of itself is not a substance. We like to treat it like it's a substance. It needs to be washed away. It needs to be purged. We have to get the sin out of my life. Well, we don't talk that way about a dark room. <laughs> Just turn on the light. Okay, we, we got to realign our focus. It isn't about getting the sin out of your life. It's about getting the Jesus into your life. And then everything will be okay. okay? And we've got to understand this idea that behavior is always, always, always. Everybody say it with me. Always Always. a symptom of an inner reality. Behavior is always a symptom of an inner reality. Whether good or bad. If you're behaving like God, it's because there's something very right on the inside of you. There's something that's happening that's good in there. It's a beautiful thing that's taking place where the character and nature of Jesus is being uh, demonstrated through your behavior. That means that Jesus himself is taking up residence within you and shaping the way that you behave. If bad behavior is coming out of you, it is because there is something broken on the inside. Now, as the Christian church and especially the Western church, we love to treat the symptom and we're bad at finding the disease. We love to say, stop that behavior. And honestly, we would all be, every pastor in this country, pretty much, including myself, this is, I wish this wasn't true, but it is, would kind of be okay with a church whose behavior was right. Even if their heart kind of wasn't. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. If everybody came to church on a regular basis, tithed on a regular basis, (laughs) and were nice to each other, most of the pastors in this country would be like, I'm good. We're good. I'm doing a good job. Because it's hard. It is very difficult to look beyond behavior and see what's going on on the inside. This is how our criminal justice system works, (coughs) right? You do something wrong, I'm going to punish you. You stop doing something wrong, I'm going to stop punishing you. Now, what else are they supposed to do? I don't know. I'm not here to fix it. I'm just here to tell them they're broken, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm honestly not okay with things like hate crimes legislation. I'm not okay with... People being punished for what's going on inside their head. No one else knows what's going on inside your head except for you. And sometimes you don't even know what's going on inside your head. So how can a judge point at you and say, you did this because of that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's not like we have like some kind of helmet we could put on them and then it'd be like, ding, hate. Right? I mean, that's, that's not... Like, we have a red light and a green light. If it was done because of hate, the red light will turn on. I, you know, I don't, we, don't, we don't have anything like that. I hope we never do, quite honestly. Um, and so I have a problem with that. But when all we do is punish behavior and we don't get to the root of the issue, we are just setting ourselves up for more bad behavior later. And I know they talk about prisons as rehabilitating people, but that is a joke. Prisons make people worse. They don't make people better. That's been proven over and over and over again. Okay? They just don't. The only thing that's good in prison is that every once in a while, a Christian gets in there and starts talking to people about Jesus. That's the only thing that's good about our current prison system. I know a bunch of people that got saved in jail. So it's it's that's good. I'm happy about that. But everything else that happens in our prison system is a joke. It's not making people better. It's making people worse. And it's happening because we're not dealing with the root of the issue. Dealing with behavior problems, not with heart problems. It's like, oh, you're coughing. Here's this medicine to help you stop coughing. But I'm not going to tell you to drink orange juice and take echinacea and all that other stuff so that you can fight off the actual cold. I just want to get rid of your cough.
2: We're talking about the spiritual match act right now.
1: This is, this is, behavior is always a symptom of something that's going on inside. And we need to understand that when you're in a place of leadership, especially when it comes to youth and kids, and you see bad behavior, okay, do not respond to their bad behavior, respond to the brokenness behind their behavior. If all you do is say, I'm gonna bring the hammer down, you know, Where you? <laughs> guys, that doesn't help anything. In fact, it's gonna make things worse because now that kid not only hates your rules, but now he hates you too. We gotta get our heads wrapped around this reality. I used to tell my youth leaders this all the time. I'm not interested in behavior modification. I'm interested in hearts being changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will, behavior modification will come. That will come. But if all we're doing is talking to them about the stuff they're doing, you need to stop doing that, son. Or you do that one more time and you're out of here. Okay, that kind of conversation is not helpful in any way shape or form in making disciples. And that's our call. Anyway. I'm not sure where all that came from, but now let's move on. Okay, so we're going to get to uh, oh, that's what that's where it came from is the Sermon on the Mount is about what's inside, not what's outside. That's the point. Sermon on the Mount is not The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. uh, This is how we need to view the Old Testament law, okay? Can I give you a couple ideas on this? Because Christians have a big issue, huge issue with how to view the law. Somebody tell me how you think. When you think of the Old Testament law, what do you think of? Go. Sure, but like, what's your, what do you, what does that mean to you, those laws?
2: i mm-hmm. old. <laughs> I'm trying not to think like a new age Christian, but, but that's how I feel. <laughs> What's
1: your relationship to those laws? And here's somebody else. Come on. I mean, I see them as like
0: a guideline. Like, sure. But I mean, I do think like, oh gosh, they're so old. Like, it's just like the, like
1: what I'm
0: saying. Outdated. I don't know. That's like, I mean, I still like respect them, obviously, because like, I know it's
1: what God said So I want you to look, I want you to, if you can reach and see the tag on your shirt, I want you to try and do that. Okay. Look and see the tag on your shirt and see what it says. If it says anything about the, 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 what your shirt is made of.
2: What's your shirt made of? fifty percent polyester. Sinner! Dude, don't bring anybody up, else? Don't bring up the sweatshop. Anybody else? Not bring up
1: this. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the sweatshop. Somebody else, come on.
2: Who else? Oh, okay. The Old Testament law. Oh, the crap. Old, no,
1: no, it's not about that. The Old Testament law says that you should not wear a garment that's made of two different kinds of, no. of. I, sp- but I love, but like, That's but stre- the Old Testament law. Cheese. Says that. It's have any of you ever had a a meal where uh, you have like a? Has anybody ever eaten a cheeseburger?
2: I've eaten one of them. Eating
1: a cheeseburger, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You want to know why? Because listen up. The the cheese on that burger was made from milk. And the Old Testament law says that you should not cook the meat of an animal in the milk of its mother.
2: Their soups must have sucked. Okay.
1: The Old Testament law says not to do that. Okay. All of you gentlemen in this room who have ever shaved your face. Sin. Sin. All of you didn't, who in here has a tattoo somewhere on their body? I'm a sinner. Wait, <laughs> what? Hell
2: Are we talking I about Leviticus so so right a now? I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay.
1: Listen. The, the only reason I'm bringing this up, okay, is because we don't get to pick and choose which laws we obey. If the law is our standard of righteousness, then the law is our standard of righteousness, and so that's what I want to know, because everybody <laughs> in this room is going. Everybody in this room is going. Well, it's the law is important except the ones I don't like. I yeah. So
0: it's about one of the scripture verses that we had. It was in Galatians five. I remember that verse. But
1: it said like, if you're loved like, by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? Cool. Very, very good question. We're we're gonna talk about that.
2: that.
1: <laughs> First of all, Galatians we need to understand is a very specific situation. Most of the time in Galatians, where it talks about the works of the law, it's specific. He's being specific to the kosher dietary requirements and circumcision, and only those. Yeah. Okay, so in in most of that. And it was because there were these guys that came through after Paul had established the church and came into the Galatian church and told everybody, hey guys, guess what? Uh, You're going to have to be circumcised and become fully Jewish or else you're not really a Christian. Okay? That was what happened. Paul was ticked. He was ticked. He was ticked at the people that said it. In fact, he said, those of you that are saying you have to get circumcised to become a Christian, I wish you would just go the whole way and cut everything off.
2: My favorite verse,
1: right? Okay, Paul was not a happy man. Okay, and that that the Book of Galatians is Paul ticked off. It's, it's so it's fun. it's really everything Paul's ever said. It's uh, it is. It's Paul not happy. But why, 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 why is Paul mad?
2: Because the law doesn't save you. Because the law doesn't.
1: What we have to understand. The book of Galatians tells us this, okay? No one has been made righteous by the law. No one has been made righteous by the law because that's not what its job ever was. The job of the law was never to make anyone righteous. That was not what it was for, ever. we got to understand that. Even the Jews in the Old Testament understood that. That the law was not making... Now, they, they changed their mind about it over several hundred years, several thousand years. And they began to believe that was true. And the Jews of Jesus' day certainly believed that that was true. That it was, that it was the keeping of the law that made you acceptable in the eye of God. But that was not what it was, the, what it was about to begin with. Okay? What the law was, was, well, it was a couple things. One, was just to keep order in a civil society. We've got a million people who have left one culture, stepped into uh, the middle of the desert, and now are trying to figure out how to get along with each other. And so if there wasn't some direction from God about the kinds of things that are going to be acceptable, okay, here in our midst right now, Okay, if that had not happened, it would have been mass chaos. Okay, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Okay, um, sorry, that was a quote. Anybody yourself? get that? Anyway, never mind.
2: <laughs> Thank you. It's,
1: it's from Ghostbusters. Uh, it's from Ghostbusters. You mean the version? what the
2: feminist version or no no oh, no 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 no
1: no 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 that was, my favorite. No, no, no. That was your favorite <laughs> the only <laughs> scene in that movie <laughs> that the scene in that movie that actually made the whole movie even worth watching for me was chris hemsworth like teaching all those people to dance you know like it's oh. <laughs> like that was my favorite you know part of it
2: <laughs> the whole movie but, but was horrible the fact that that all was, comedians in there and your comedic relief is Chris Hemsworth yeah. and insult to them. Yeah. Anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, there are a couple of things. I already wrote that back to I was going to come back to it. Okay. There's actually several uses of the law, but okay. The, the second one, the, the Apostle Paul says that the law was the schoolmaster which led us to Christ. In other words the law was teaching us about the nature of God and the nature of ourselves. That he was, God was putting out there this this, uh, standard, this ruler against which every human could be measured and found wanting. This is what God's like. Boom. Okay? And as soon as we stand anywhere near it, we realize, I don't measure up it's it's a ruler. We stand next to him and realize I'm not tall enough to ride this ride, okay? And then Jesus came along and he was, you know, he fulfilled the law, which is beautiful. Okay? We have to understand that the way that this works is it was never about if you do all these things, check all these boxes and you have a free pass to heaven. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not how it ever worked, okay? That was never how it was supposed to work. The law was to help it and so that was what it was meant for originally now as we're on the other side of the cross okay for us as human beings the law does uh, a couple things for us now okay that was then and it's really the same now but it but we have a different perspective on it than we did before and that's this it shows us the wisdom of god there's some really smart things in there some really intelligent things that god had to say Okay, and, and going back to the law and seeing the wisdom of God's law is a brilliant thing to do. You would only be stupid not to go and find the wisdom that's contained in God's law. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay, so when it says that you shouldn't, you know, punch someone else or whatever, I mean, then you shouldn't assault someone else. Yeah. That is an intelligent thing to, to, to hear, right? You don't want to hurt other people. It's just not a good idea. You know what? That's true, Lord. So thank you for that. Okay? There's other stuff, even more like not quite as obvious stuff in there. Okay? But the other thing that it uh what was I gonna say? My brain just shut down. Yes. Oh. I need more coffee. Another reason another reason
2: for the law.
1: Yes, I know. <laughs> but I lost it. It's the know. it's the wisdom of the law, okay? It's the wisdom of the law. And then what's the other one? Not my brain; it's not There's working, about and it's not yeah. in my notes. Well, yeah, but that was—that's just, yeah. Hey, we need—we know we need a savior, and then Jesus came, and he—he he is the savior, which is great. But I can't remember what my—I'll uh, remember it in a minute. So <clears throat> my brain will come back to it in a minute, at some point, hopefully. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, that's what it is. There it is. <laughs> we're back. And we're back, folks. It was the sneeze that helped. Um, when we see ourselves behaving in a manner that is contrary to the law, okay, and and in this case, I would say really the moral law rather than the ceremonial law, which the, those were two separate things. Ceremonial law was the stuff like the tattoo, the the fabric, the 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 food that stuff that's the ceremonial law then there's the moral law which is stuff like the 10 commandments etc but when we see ourselves it's a good way to see boy i i'm really that's that's one place there must be something broken inside of me it's a list of symptoms have you ever read one of those books that has like diseases and their symptoms and then you're like i think i have this right <laughs> like and, Every disease you read, you're like, "Oh crap! I think I have it." I've had a dizzy spell six years ago. I must have schizophrenia. Okay, right? Like exactly. Everybody has that problem. Yeah. So the thing is that most schizophrenics are completely out. They do not understand that the things that they are seeing as true about the world are absolute nonsense. They firmly believe that their perspective on reality is the correct one. And so there's not really a schizophrenic in the world that would say they were schizophrenic. They would say, I'm not crazy. Y'all are crazy. I'm not crazy. That's that's kind of their attitude. Until they get nicely medicated, and then they're like, man, I was crazy. <laughs> Just saying, I I know several schizophrenics, and I know the way that it works, and that's why they stop taking their medicine, because they're so convinced that they saw things clearly before, you know, and that when and the medicine's just clouding everything up, so they stop taking it, and then it's like now I can see clearly again. No, no, you're crazy, you know, there isn't a purple elephant standing right there. No one else can see that. Okay. Anyway, let's keep moving. What? So like,
2: what's the people do you pick and choose with the law. What's the what, What's the like the rule there? Like ceremonial stuff isn't this important, and like like it's not about
1: what it's important. Well, what's is it not all important? important, but like okay, because our law now, and I don't like using the word law, but the I don't like because it just muddles muddies the waters. But okay. our standard now is Jesus Himself. Mm-hmm. Our standard now is Jesus Himself, and we can look at Jesus and say, Would Jesus do that? If the answer is no, then we should not be doing it, because Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our perfect uh, standard, more perfect than the law. Uh, Jesus told Jesus told the people in the Sermon on the Mount, "Hey, the the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is not enough. It was it's. I'm calling you to something higher, which is love. Love will outwork the worker every single time." That's just what love does. Love goes over and above what's expected. Okay, but if we find something that is happening, some activity in our life which is, and and we see the law, like for instance, stealing. Okay, let's just put that out there. Okay, stealing of any kind or description is not a loving activity. And Sometimes we have to run a, smack up against the hardness of the law a little bit to realize. I don't Jesus is this is not what Jesus would be like. Jesus wouldn't be doing this. Okay, the law is still a picture of the perfection of God. And so it's so it's really the the thou shalt nots are very much a list list of symptoms. If this is happening, there's something wrong on the inside. If this is happening, there's something wrong. If you're dishonoring your father or your mother, there's something broken in you. If you are stealing something, there's something broken in you. If you are not taking a Sabbath rest, there is something broken in you. Okay? And it's, so for us now, it's not like we need to be afraid of the law. Like the law is a club held over our head. You either do this or you die. It's not like that. Now it's. The way we need to see it is we need to see it as the baseline of Christian activity. That, that hey, if I'm sitting below that line, I am really not doing well. Because we should be way above it. We should be way above it because we should be operating on love, which goes above and beyond the law, far above and beyond the law. The law says don't steal. Love says give everything away. You see what I'm saying? The law says don't lie. Love says tell them the truth in a way they can receive it. How many of you have ever told someone the truth knowing you were using the truth as a weapon? Well, you weren't breaking the law. How many have used the truth as a weapon? Probably everyone in this room. And it usually sounds something like this. Well, at least I don't fill in the blank okay we use the truth as a weapon my kids do this all the time constantly they do this to each other almost every day oh yeah well at least i don't pick my boogers and eat them okay they would say that to each other right okay And that's when the other kid goes, shut up! And hits him, right? Okay. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I didn't think you were looking. (laughs) Right? Okay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. That's not how love operates. Now, did did my child break the law when he spoke the truth to his sibling? No. No. He didn't. That was not a breaking of the law. But it was contrary to love. Do you see how those two things are different from one another? There is a way, and this, the the Pharisees had this stuff figured out. On how to obey the law and be a horrible person simultaneously. They were really good at it. Okay, and that was what Jesus was calling them on. He was going, guys, I don't care if you obey the law. You don't love anyone. You've taken this beautiful thing called the law, this this beautiful thing that God gave to you to show you who he is and give you some wisdom about how to do human life in the happiest, most healthy way and you took it and you forged it into a sword with which you kill other people. How dare you? Yes, literally. They brought that woman to Jesus who had She had broken the law. They caught her red-handed. She was sleeping with someone that was not her husband. And they threw her down in front of Jesus. And they said, the law says we should stone her. Did they care about her at all in that moment? The only thing they cared about, how sick and twisted is it, that they went out and found someone purposefully. It wasn't about making this woman's life better. Or making the community's life better, it wasn't about it wasn't about ending a, you know something that was that was breaking a a a human family apart. No, they didn't care about any of that. What they cared about was setting up a situation in which Jesus would be publicly wrong and they would be publicly right, and that was what it was about. And what does it say to you that they knew exactly where to find this woman, and that they didn't bring the guy with her? Okay. And Jesus stepped into the middle of that situation. Law is accusing, this person is accusing. Jesus steps into the middle and says, "Guess what? I know all of you, and none of you have any right to stand on the law and say, I'm better than you." And so, unless you unless you are able to do that, you need to just shut up, because I could turn around and take a stone and throw it at you too. <laughs> And the only one who was in that place who had the right to point an accusing finger refused to point an accusing finger and invited her into a new kind of life. He didn't leave her in her sin. He would never do that. If all Jesus had said was, it's okay, honey, get out of here. That would not have been a loving thing to do. What he said was, I'm not going to condemn you. Do you know the difference between being... Uh, labeled as guilty and condemnation. What is going to happen to a building that is condemned? It's going to be torn down. Correct. Condemnation is the declaration of future destruction. Okay. It's one thing to find someone guilty. It is something else to condemn them. Because I have been found guilty, but then I was declared innocent. More than that, I was declared righteous. But I had to be found guilty first so that I could be declared righteous by Jesus. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. Are you with me, everybody? And let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. This is so good. You know that the New Testament talks more about the law being nailed to the cross than your sin. In fact, I would hard press you to find a place in the New Testament where it talks about your sin being placed on the cross. Have fun with that. But I'll tell you there's multiple places where it talks about the law being put on the cross. Jesus was ending the Old Covenant and beginning a new one. The Old Covenant had to die with him. Some food for thought. Okay. The cross is about a whole lot more than fire insurance. The cross is about the future of the entire universe. The cross is about not just saving you from hell it did that hallelujah but it was about a lot more than that it was about god reversing the the momentum of the curse and decay that had been set loose by sin in the in the universe and god began new creation and resurrection at the cross of jesus christ where a new world was beginning in that moment Ooh, it's exciting anyway all right let's keep going The Sermon on the Mount is not prescriptive. It's not thou shalt not and thou shalt. That's not what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount goes beyond the thou shalts and gets into what's going on in the inside of the human heart. That's what the Sermon on the Mount does, and that's why we love it. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you realize you can't do this without God's help. And then you bring nothing to the table. And you come to the table as a little child. Isn't that what Jesus said? Unless you come like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying you don't come as an expert. You don't come as a wise old man. You come as a little child who all they have is an open hand saying, can I have some please? That's what we do. That's the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn, who look upon the reality of their own life and the reality of the world around them and they are grieved and seeking divine power to see a shift in who they are and who the world around and and what's going on in the world around them. Blessed are those who mourn, who recognize the brokenness of themselves and of humanity at large and are asking God to do something about it. And now blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth we this is another one that's just man this one flies right in the face of americanism so powerfully because do we like do we like meek people i actually saw a nike shirt once that said the meek shall inherit the earth and then at the bottom said yeah right oh, oh, oh. oh no I'm not kidding. I was just like, Uh-oh. I would not be wearing that shirt. Like <laughs> just like, oh geez. <laughs> yeah, right? You're gonna quote the Bible and then say, yeah, right? Oh <laughs> like lightning target. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, that is rough. But isn't that what our culture thinks? Yeah. Isn't that what our culture thinks? It's the young, the beautiful, the fast, the powerful, the rich. These are the people that are the winners. Okay? We have a president in office right now that whatever his good things, whatever his bad things, he ran on this platform, we need a strong America. America that's not afraid to bristle with weapons. To hold the threat of nuclear destruction over the entire planet. When a cuckoo balls guy from North Korea is like, hey, I have I have a nuclear weapon with a button on my desk that says blow you up. Our president didn't say, give me a brick. You're a tinker toy of a nuclear weapon, really? No, he said, I have a button on my desk and it's bigger than yours. <laughs> president Trump, God bless you. Zip your pants up. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I, I. This is who we are as a nation. This is what we do. We're the biggest. We're the baddest. We're the best, right? Isn't this what we do? Isn't this what we worship? Isn't this what we hold in high esteem? The winners. The strongest. This is what we bow down before. And here's Jesus, blessed are the meek. Excuse me? The meek shall inherit the earth. Do you know what meekness is? Okay. The same word, the same word in the New Testament has also been translated as gentle. It means strength held in reserve. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you have no strength. It means you have strength and you refuse to use it. That's meekness. Okay, yeah, I saw I saw a YouTube video. That was perfect. That was a perfect illustration of this. And it was, this guy was talking about, he was talking about meekness and he was talking about this. He took, they took their dog to a dog park and at the park was this, was another couple who had a little puppy. Okay. And their dog's this big bruiser, 60 something pound dog. And then they have, there's this little puppy. And the two dogs were interacting with each other. And he said, all we were saying to our dog the whole time was gentle, gentle, gentle gentle nobody ever said gentle to the puppy and the puppy is fighting and chewing on the big dog's ear and you know you know messing with him and whatever and all they were saying to their dog was gentle gentle you don't have to say that to the puppy why because the puppy doesn't have strength to use puppy can use all its strength against that big dog and nothing is going to happen but if that big dog just bit down one time it's the end of the puppy so who needs to be who needs to be meek in that situation? Who needs to be gentle? The big dog does. And yet our culture despises meekness. If you've got it, flaunt it. I'm stronger than you. Okay, this is who. This is how American culture works. We actually, this is. When a big company overwhelms and buys out a smaller company, we kind of celebrate it. Like, yep, capitalism. Meekness. Meekness. And here's Jesus. And Jesus not only says, blessed are the meek, which is already crazy. The life of God is with the meek. Okay. But then he says, they shall inherit the earth. Uh, What now? Jesus was living under the rule of The strongest empire in the history of the world at that time. And probably ever. The most ruthless, heartless, strength equals power, might equals right thing that has ever existed on the planet was the Roman Empire. If you rose up against them, they would just squash you. That's what they were really good at. And here's Jesus in the midst of the Roman Empire, where it makes, if you looked around in Jesus' day, and you looked at all of the former great empires that had existed in the world that are now crushed beneath the boot of Rome, you would say, you know what? This whole might makes right thing makes a whole lot of sense. I don't see the meek inheriting the earth. I see the biggest, musliest guy inheriting the earth. That's what I see. I see the one, the person who takes what he wants is the person who wins. And that is the opposite of what Jesus is saying. No, 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 the meek shall inherit the earth. Excuse me. Yeah, right, is the response of our culture to that statement. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Now I want you to notice something. You see Jesus is making these proclamations as truth, not as the way things ought to be. Have you've ever heard statements like teachers should be paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and and first responders should be richer than everybody else and all these we love should bes I wish it were. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, you know, the meek really should inherit the earth. Wouldn't that be nice, everybody? What do you say? What do you say? We should, we should should the meek inherit the earth, everybody, and not those big mean bullies up there? But too bad, it's not going to be that way. No, no. Jesus said, they shall. They will. In the kingdom of heaven, things get flipped on their heads. And it's not the guy with the biggest muscles who wins. It's the guy who chooses to honor the other by not forcing them okay now there's two sides to meekness let's talk about that that one first not applying force to make their desires a reality it's the opposite meekness is the opposite of ambition we like ambition Don't we? When somebody is working really hard to make things happen, I can't tell you how many times I had teachers and whoever else saying, you know, if I see you working really hard, I'm going to help you, whatever, and I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, but it's this blessing on ambition. You're going places, son, you know you're going places, and blah, blah, blah. Meekness is the opposite of ambition. We love the illusion of control. Do we not? We like to feel in control. That I am making things happen. How many people have you heard brag about being self-made men or women? Yeah? Think about it. We love that. But here's the truth. It's never real. No human has ever controlled anything in the history of the world. This universe is out of human control, but it's under the control of God. We love to have that illusion of control, like I know what's going on and I know how to fix things and I blah, 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 but it's wrong. We love to try and make things happen. But the problem is whenever we do, whenever we apply strength to a thing, we usually cause more problems than we fix. I'm going to muscle this thing under. Exactly. Perfect example. Abraham and Sarah. Well, God's given us this promise. Right? God's given us this promise but well, instead of waiting for it, maybe God wants you to take the initiative <laughs> and go sleep with another woman. Commit adultery, Abraham. That's what God wants you to do. But it's cool because she's my servant and I'm giving her to you, so it's kind of me. It's kind of me. So it's fine. Now, I will say that the people in Abraham's time would not have considered it adultery. They were fine with concubines. They did not have a problem with it. As long as your wife didn't have a problem with it, they didn't have a problem with it. She's old. You know? You want to have more kids? And the thing is that the kids that the handmaiden would have would be considered the child of the actual wife. Okay? That's the way they they did it. All right? We do not live in their culture. So we don't get to judge their culture. Okay? So Can I just say that right now? We do not live where they live. We don't, because would, there would be so many things that they would look at in our culture and be like, what is wrong with you people?
2: <laughs> you're
1: right. I'm just think about it. The answer is we're wrong and you're wrong. We're all wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> what she said, she said you're not wrong <laughs> I'm not wrong about that I'm not wrong about us being wrong <laughs> only thing I know is that I know nothing the only absolute truth place. is that there are no absolute truths that's my favorite no one
2: like had right. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite I mean, one there's a guy like in Young Adults who so just wanted a big rant <laughs> Theological trash. Yeah, and at the end he said, "I don't even know what I don't know." And I <laughs> that. like, you know that's the most right thing he's ever said. You're Right, you don't. <laughs> so true. Is that a movie? What happened? That's a quote <laughs> from <laughs> <young laughs> an <laughs> adult. <laughs> I don't even know what I don't know.
0: Like year? <laughs> this year?
2: No. Last year. So true. It.
0: It.
1: All right, so <laughs> we love to try and apply force to make things happen. God. We we do, and I'll tell you, there's this there's this one thing that. that As a dad, I have a problem with. Like, my kids will, like, bring me something that's broken, you know? And I'll be like, I can make it fix, you know? Like, and then I'll break the toy even worse. Like, it was already not working, and now it's totally broken into pieces. And I'm like, dang it. It might have been fixable. Hey, I like your hat, man.
2: You're looking
1: good. He's just, you know, standing for the women with breast cancer. Um... So here we go. Uh, here's Jesus' example. Luke fourteen seven, and following. Jesus, this is a parable Jesus told. He began speaking a, uh, a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you must proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a beautiful picture of meekness. Okay? Jesus said it like he said, the greatest in this kingdom is the servant of all. We've got to understand that in the kingdom of heaven, the higher you go in, I don't even like using that term, that, that picture. Authority in the kingdom of heaven is about responsibility, not about glory. And we, I've had so many people, they're like, I just want to be in charge of something. And I'm like, no, you don't. No. You really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many people have been like, can I preach on a Sunday morning? And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I just asked the question, oh, this, this happened more here at First Assembly than it does at Freeman which preaching in front of fifteen hundred people is a heck of a lot harder than preaching in front of one hundred and fifty. Except that nobody interrupts you here, and they—I get interrupted all the time at <laughs> Pastor, I was thinking about this. You know, I was like, oh, no. "Go ahead, speak." <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to go there. yeah, come on up anytime you want. Services are Sundays at ten a.m. Anyway, I mean, I would love to have you. Please come. So, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. People here would be like, how come Pastor Ron won't let me preach on a Sunday? And my question is always, have you ever preached anywhere? (laughs) Well, it's like, how about you go and preach at a nursing home first? Oh, there you go. Or teach a Sunday school class. Or help in the nursery well, I don't want to do that. Well, then you don't understand ministry at all. Yeah, because ministry is not about you. It's about everyone else. And the bigger your platform, the more people you are the servant of. Not the more people serve you. That's how the kingdom works. And the more, the bigger the platform you have, the more you realize that. The more the weight of serving that size group or a region, because you now have a regional platform, the weight of that region on you when you realize that every word that you're saying is now being listened to by people, not just in this little circle, but it's a big deal, and you need to be careful. My church with 150 people, I can say whatever I want. I can tell the president to zip up his pants if I want to Uh, it wouldn't be good you're a small town that wouldn't go well for you man but Jesus is saying look if you exalt yourself you're going to be humbled but if you humble yourself you'll be exalted that's how meekness works meekness works by going down not up meekness works by choosing to serve others not serve yourself this is what meekness looks like. First Peter 5 6. This verse right here. If you are planning on going into any kind of ministry, I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to tattoo it on your soul. I want you to have this verse in your back pocket every day. I want you to think about it all the time. Are you am I am I being clear enough? That you need to know this verse. First Peter 5 6. Humble yourselves, therefore. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. first peter five six, I have I want to say this with humility because I have not done it well, but I have attempted to conduct my entire life of ministry out of this verse. I had a pastor tell me this when I was about 18 years old. Josh, this verse is important. I want you to think about this. I want you to live this way. Don't exalt yourself. Don't promote yourself. Let God exalt you. Humble yourself under him. And let him lead you to where you're supposed to go. I got to tell you, there's so many different times where people become like, they become a youth pastor because it's their first step to being a senior pastor in some large church. Or they start doing ministry on some, because I got to get on the path towards a, a bigger ministry or whatever. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Get busy doing the stuff that's right there at your, right in front of you to do. Get busy doing that. And if God opens doors, then... Walk through them in humility, but don't like go looking for your next opportunity. People have said to me multiple times, like, well, that Fremont church is a good first church for you. And I just want to smack them because I would be really happy if this was also my last church. I am not going anywhere. God's put me here. And until God says go somewhere else, this is where I'm at. And I'm not interested in a bigger job or a bigger paycheck or a bigger platform. I don't care about those things. I'm interested in being obedient to what the Lord has called me to do when he's called me to do it. And that's it. Are you with me? Okay. I think that's what meekness looks like. Okay. those of us that are always fighting for what we deserve will never get it cuz you actually probably don't deserve it but <laughs> <laughs> vengeance belongs to the lord he will repay well that that goes to my second to the second piece of meekness and that is this that the meek the one who is meek is not easily provoked. Okay. They're not easily provoked. Here's a quote from a I didn't write down who it, what it's from, but it's meekness produces peace. It is proof of true greatness of a soul. It comes from a heart too great to be moved by little insults. It looks upon those who offer them with pity. And he that is constantly ruffled, that suffers every little insult or injury to throw him off his guard and to raise a storm of passion within, is at the mercy of every mortal that chooses to disturb him. I just... We're not easily provoked. When someone says something about us, we can just be like, okay, whatever. A meek person is not a person who said, did you see the way he looked at me? (laughs) Let me ask you a question. When someone attacks you, okay, the meek response and the loving response is to say, you know what? You're obviously upset. Is there something that I can do? I watched this happen. We were at a uh, uh, are at, at a funeral. Um, the 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 people that built this building, this building was built by a different church than First Assembly. I don't know if you guys know that or not. This building was built by a different church, and the the pastor that built this building originally um, passed away very shortly after we uh, got this building. Um, and uh, but but only maybe two years ago, his wife passed away, and the family asked if we could if we would have her funeral here. At this church, and of course, uh, because my dad is an amazing man, he said, Yes, please, let's do that. Okay, and then he came to the funeral, and someone who was very torn up by the loss of this great lady came up to my dad and said, you know, you're never going to measure up to Pastor Payneau. You're never going to be as good as he was. You're never, you, you, how dare you be in charge of this place that he built when you're nothing compared to him. Said so that, there's a group of people standing around. And they said that to him. Do you know what my dad's response was? This is one of those moments, this is one of those moments where I went, writing this down. <laughs> that's how you do that. Okay there's been more than there's been so many moments when I've watched my dad do something so wise and so pastoral that I went, "Okay, noted." <laughs> 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 that when this if this happens to me, that's how I respond. What he said was, he looked this woman straight in the eye and he said, "You're obviously hurting. Can I pray with you?" Okay. And I was like, ha! <laughs> like, I didn't do that out loud. Obviously, when it was just it was just like it was just like mm. that's that. That's how you do it. That's how you look past the petty insults of a of a broken person and you look right around to what's going on on the inside of them and you minister to them and you love them even though they're attacking you. That's meekness. Meekness is that big dog being ripped out by the little puppy and not caring a thing about it. Just kinda like, yeah, you silly thing. Okay, that's meekness. Can I tell you that I have seen people in situations, grown men in situations, and some little kid comes up and's like, "You got a funny looking face," right? And instead of being like, well, you're cute, you know, and, like, just laughing it off, they've been like, listen, you little punk! Like, it's like... Like Chris Chris Farley, the bus driver. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. And and I'm I'm like, how weak are you that this little kid, that you're so insecure that this little kid can come up and say something to you, and you're going to respond with, like, I'm bigger than you, and you better shut up, you know, like, give me a break. Give me a break. You're the weak one. Meekness is not easily provoked. Meekness says, <laughs> meekness just kind of laughs it off and sees past the, the daggers at and sees the brokenness of the attacker. Meekness is Jesus, nailed to the cross, could have called a legion of angels to bring down Armageddon at any moment. But instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. That's meekness. That is the picture of meekness on the cross. And I'm telling you, it was the meekness of Jesus that defeated the enemy in that day. It was the meekness of Jesus that showed all of the strength and all the violence of this world for the weakness that it is. And all of the the vengeance of the human race, how we want a victim, revealed it for how petty and broken and foolish it is when he said, now I forgive you. That's meekness. We have to learn how to do it. Okay? Jesus said, they shall inherit the earth. I always think of Pinky in the Brain. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. That's not meekness. Okay? Understand, the fighters, the graspers, the ambitious, they make no friends. They end up alone. Think of Ebenezer Scrooge. Richest guy in town, everyone hates him. Because he's the opposite of meek. Okay? Jesus said, gain the whole world and lose your soul. Right? What good does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It's the opposite of meekness. Reaching, grasping, Come, these are my rights. You don't get to talk to me that way. Like, let it go. Don't sing it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So yesterday, I was at work, and this 17-year-old little kid, this guy, was bullying me. And I, and like, I did not respond in a gentle response, like, he came up to me, he was just like being rude, and I was like, quit criticizing everything I do, and he's like, okay, and then I came and talked to him, I was like, listen, I wish to communicate this out, that you rubbed me the wrong way, and, <laughs> and I was like, and I don't know, like, I was like, I don't want to assume anything about you, because I don't know you, and then he was like, okay, blah, blah, so we explained, we were all chill, and then we get like this big rush again, and then. He like, like was like, peace out. I'm gonna go on break. And then like, he's like, I'm probably gonna take a 45 minute. And then, and like, I was already an hour over the time I was supposed to get off. And so I looked at him and I was like, today is not the day to mess with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then like, he like, and then like, this didn't talk to me again. And like, I felt really bad because like, at one point I was responding in weakness. and another point like I wasn't. And like, it's so hard. It is really hard. Between saying, "Okay, I'm going to be meek," or to step off because I'm going to cut your throat. Okay. There is. Or <laughs> like, you're being
1: disrespectful. <laughs> did Jesus being... say? Now let me ask you a question. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, did he did he say, "Hey guys, you know it's really okay that you nailed me here. I, I mean, this isn't <laughs> a bad thing at all. It's fine. I'm good." Did he say that? No. No. What they were doing was evil. He acknowledged the fact that it was evil, but he refused to respond with violence. And that's meekness. Meekness isn't lying. Being a pushover is like, okay, whatever. No. It's like, it's when you look at somebody and say, hey, I don't know what's going on or why you have this kind of attitude toward me, but can, can we try and fix this? Okay. That's the attitude of meekness. It's redemptive. Okay, the um, <clears throat> and not vengeful. That's that's the thing, and that's what Jesus is really calling out, because we would like to be vengeful. We like vengeance. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right? We like vengeance. I want to have muted out to you everything that just happened to me. I want you to feel my pain. Right? No, stop that. That's what Jesus is trying to say. It doesn't work. All we're doing is furthering the the cycle of violence. Because hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Okay. The violence that's getting poured out on you may not have come from you, but it came from somewhere. And the question is, are you going to end it or are you going to continue it? Does that make sense? Are you going to end the cycle of violence or are you going to continue the cycle of violence? Yeah. I just feel really bad. The whole voice
0: probably scared me
1: now. Well, you have the opportunity now to step in and apologize.
0: Yeah, I do feel pretty bad. In My car and the Lord was like, that was not a nice thing to do. I was
1: like, no, No. he deserved it. Yes, he did. That's the big, that's the problem. (laughs) You see, that's the problem that our culture has with with meekness is, but they deserve it. That's true. They de- they deserve this, and you know what? You're absolutely right. But is them getting what they deserve going to fix anything? No. This is why. This is what I'm. This <laughs> Les mis is one of the most powerful things ever, because what. What do we have? We have this beautiful demonstration of meekness right at the beginning of the play. Right at the beginning of the musical. Okay? He goes in. He's being shown kindness that he did not deserve, and yet he still chooses to steal from that priest. Okay? That vicar. And then he runs out with the stuff, and he comes back in with Javert. Hey, he stole from you. And what does the priest do? What does the priest say? The priest says, I'm very disappointed in you. You forgot the nicest piece. This extension of unbelievable mercy when there should have been. There was fully uh, uh, judgment and violence was deserved. I showed you kindness and you steal from me? I don't think so. Okay? Okay. That's what we would say, oh no, you're going back to jail because that's where you belong. You're one of those people and you belong back over there. Go back to that mud hole where you were about to die. That's where you belong. And guess what? He doesn't do that. He says, no, let me give more to you. That's meekness. And that's how Christianity needs to respond in this world because that's what changes people. Look what it did for Jean Valjean. In that moment, he was so rattled, he was like, I, I can't even be who I was before. I, I, Having received mercy, I must now be a person who gives mercy to everyone I encounter. Because I am now a person of mercy. Mercy entered into my life and it changed me completely so that I am now a fountain of mercy to everyone that I encounter. I can't hold anyone guilty because I'm guilty and I wasn't held responsible for what I did. And then you have the foil to Jean Valjean, which is Javert, who is the law, the law, the law, and it doesn't matter if you don't, you're going to get what you deserve, and that's the way it is, until he's at the mercy of Jean Valjean, who does what? Could have, should have shot him in the head, right? But he doesn't. He sets him free. In fact, and Javert's like, you just want me to forget what you've done. And Jean Valjean is like, here's my address. Look me up. I'm letting you go. Someone gave me my life once. I'm giving you yours. And Javier is so messed up by this. He can't. He can't do it. He's like, but but how can you be a better person than me? I'm the person of the law. You're this guy that just got off scot-free. How is it that you are a better person than I am and it messes with him so much that he jumps off the bridge? Because that's all the law can do in the presence of mercy. The law just kills itself in the presence of mercy. The law says, I can't exist in the presence of mercy. It just shuts down. But mercy, when it's received, changes people. Do you understand that this is how heaven and hell will work? Okay? We're going to have two groups of people. One group of people saying, I am I am poor of spirit. I am mourning my condition. I need mercy. And another group saying, you don't have the right to judge me. Guess who's going to hell? The second group and not the first. The one that demands that they get what they deserve is going to get what they deserve. But the one who says, I... I deserve death but I'm asking for mercy is going to get it. And that doesn't that doesn't just happen at the end. That happens today, that happens right now, that happens in this moment when you become a person who is not about your rights, not about what you deserve, not about I'm going to get mine. That kind of person will never, ever be satisfied. They're going to be running after more and more and more for the rest of their life. They're never going to find the beautiful satisfaction of, I deserve nothing, but I receive everything. And therefore, I can give everything. That's why I cry all the way through Les Mis every time. Because, because here's this man modified by mercy changed from the top to bottom by the by this be, the beauty of mercy and meekness and becomes mercy and meekness embodied. And here's this other man who is the righteous judge right he's the one that that has the right to look down on everyone else because he's quote unquote better than everyone else and he ends up being destroyed and the other ends up going head. And when Anne Hathaway shows up at the end of that movie to take Chauvelin Jean to heaven, oh my God, I cry so hard because here's a woman, oh, here's a woman, who, I have not seen this She's she, uh, because she deserved to go to hell, but here she is taking. She received mercy. And she's taking him to heaven with her. And the, she's the one that shows up at that time and is like, come on, let's go. Oh my gosh, I just die. Every time. I'm just like... Ooh, ooh, ooh. My wife just looks at me like, you gotta stop. <laughs> you gotta stop. She cries at all the love scenes, and I cry at all of the mercy and grace scenes. I cry at all. When they
0: said,
1: Are you beginning to understand? Okay, but then... Think about the end. Think about the end. And you have all those people standing on the thing. Where are they? And what's the justice and the freedom that they've been longing for through the entire thing? It's the one they're given at the end of their day. Where they're standing together in the free country of Jesus saying, we're finally free. All that we fought for is finally here. This is the real, this is the true justice. This is the true freedom. This oh, is I'm the sure. true. What,
2: is this oh, yeah. an, was this intentional or like it just happened? And like the, the people no, it's, it's intentional. intentional. <laughs> the, man,
1: the man who wrote the book was a very devout Christian and he wrote it for this purpose. He wrote it to tell this story really well.
0: I've never read the book. I've
1: never read it. Never read it. Of course...
0: It's so good.
1: Now I will say, if you don't like musicals, can I just say, if you don't like musicals, the movie's hard to watch because the entire movie is singing.
0: Okay. But I love it. But there is Liam
1: Neeson did a non-musical version of the same story, which is very good. It's not as good as the musical.
0: It's not even close.
1: Yes, they did. Okay. (laughs) The emotional turmoil of being a person offended by everything has no payoff. Can I say this to you? Can I set you free? Can I set you free? All of your anger, all of your, I'm going to get them because they said that to me or they did that to me. All you're doing is hurting yourself. Let it go. Jesus forgave you. It's time for you to forgive them. You're only putting yourself in a cage. Open the door and let yourself out. Forgive them. They don't deserve it. Neither did you. Neither did you. The only person you're hurting is you. You're not hurting them. Unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. (laughs) There's no payoff to being this big nerve in the room. No one likes to be around that person. Okay. The deepest, most satisfying part of this is simply that it is those who are content to let Jesus, the one who owns everything, be their protector, savior, and benefactor, they will share in his inheritance. It's the ones who aren't demanding their rights, the ones who aren't reaching for everything they can get. Those are the ones who are going to get Jesus as an inheritance and in so doing, get the entire universe as their inheritance. We leave the land of you owe me and we enter into the land of grace. Amen. Blessed are the meek.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's going to be a hard one. All of these are hard, but the peacemaker one is specifically important at this moment in our history. I mean, this one is, ex- I mean, all of these are. But our culture's forgotten what it means to be a peacemaker. hard, isn't it? Because you're smarter than some of these people that have these horrible opinions. It's true. It's true. It's true. And I can't tell you how many times I see someone state an opinion. Not only is the opinion stupid, but the way they stated it is stupid. And I just want to step in there on Facebook or wherever and just slaughter them because I can and because they're wrong. And the Holy Spirit's like, "Are you really going to be helping anything if you do that?" And the answer is, "No, I'm not." And so I just stay quiet.
2: I do. I have to reply to everything when I like they're wrong. I have to fix them. Yes, it's hard. No, you don't.
1: It's hard. It would be so easy to just pull out the sledgehammer of not only am I smarter than you, but I'm also right and you're wrong.
2: <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> it is. I do. I do.
1: We need to understand that Facebook is the worst possible place to have a conversation.
2: Twitter too. It just is. Face to face.
1: I really enj- I actually really enjoy just posting scripture without the reference and waiting for people to comment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so rude. I just
1: post a scripture and like from the message or something. Like so it sounds like I said it. And then people start going, Oh, that's a stupid thing. And I'm like, oh by the way, that's John five seventy three. They're like, oh crap. Oh, you know what I mean? I know there's I have a different Bible than you guys and mine is right. There's a fire But you know, that's that's and there are some things, like, I have specific verses that I know are just going to be, like, that I haven't put out there because we w- it would be a tectonic explode Like, the whole earth would shake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Facebook. Just kinda, <laughs> is that because you just don't want to start a conflict? It's because Facebook is the wrong place to have that conversation. Right. That's why. I can stir up crap with the best of them. I'm just not going to. I like
0: that should be a message preached behind the pulpit for Christians.
1: I have preached it. <laughs> Both in this church and in my church.
0: Because I did it when I was like 16. Because I, you know, I was just first saved. I didn't know what I was doing. Express them on Facebook. When, um, when gay marriage got legal, um, I posted like a picture about like... About the like, what the rainbow actually means, like you know God's promise. Oh my gosh, I don't even want to talk about how bad that turned out. That I I had so many people, and that's what I learned. Like by bad, like through like through something I did. That that's probably not the best platform
2: to talk to somebody about the gospel or the best way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. I, I learned the hard way as well. <laughs> and it's not good. I it's not good. All right, everybody.